0: Welcome to the X-29 podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Metters. America's capital, Washington, D.C., is perched on the forward edge of national and global events the seat of the United States federal government, is a place of both high ideals and intense conflict, civic pride, and partisan politics. But as believers in the Lord Jesus, we can all agree that Washington, D.C. needs gospel-proclaiming churches. This is why Bill Rydell joins me on the podcast today to discuss his 10 years of church planting in Washington, D.C. Bill and his family live right on Capitol Hill, and Bill is the founding and lead pastor of Redemption Hill Church. I love that name. Bill served in ministry since 1998 and currently serves as Acts 29's DC area director and on the North Atlantic leadership team. Well, brother, tell us a little bit about your background and and how you became a Christian.
1: Yeah, I grew up mostly in Chicago, so that's, um looking forward, I, I'm cursed by being a Bears and Cubs fan for a lifetime, um, but <laughs> we bounced around a lot, I lived in six houses by the time I was 12, and so didn't really fully tie into a church until I was, I don't know, 5th, 6th, 7th grade, kind of middle school years, okay. um, but through that, like, my parents would take us to some churches, but my most consistent memories I have are my dad listening to the radio, and so... One of his um, side hustles was a paper route for the Chicago Tribune, and there were times where he'd get me up at 3 a.m. to go stuff papers and then oh, wow. run around and listen to the radio. And I'd listen to Tony Evans and Chuck Swindoll and Erwin Lutzer, and um, and Amazing. Tony Evans was always my favorite. And so that I don't know a time that I didn't trust Jesus, but my relationship with the church didn't come until I was going into adolescence, and it was a rocky entry point. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well— here you are from that rocky entry point right. to pastoring there in D.C. and Redemption Hill this is a great name. Capitol Hill, Redemption Hill, is just amazing. It's like y'all you, you did that on purpose or, right. or something. <laughs> and Calvary Hill, it's like all these things come together. I, I love the name. I think it's so pointed in so many different ways. Uh, so, congrats on ten years yeah, uh, of the church. That is no, that is no small thing. Um, so, I would, I think we would all love to hear. Why you decided to plant
1: a church in D.C. and how did Redemption Hill get get going, get established? Yeah, that's a great question. It, we we kind of backed into it, to be honest. Um, I didn't have some grand vision or strategy. It wasn't years of preparation for D.C. Um, I served a church part time all the way through undergrad and seminary at Trinity, and then served a church. I took up my first full time calling was in Indianapolis, where I lived for about four and a half years. Um, and saw some great things happen there, but it, we experienced some pretty severe culture shock moving just a few hours away yeah. from the Chicago area to Indianapolis. And it was hard for me to put my finger on why that was until you got to 2008 and suddenly The Reason for God came out and people started to hear about Tim Ke- this guy, Tim Keller. And he talked about global cities. yeah, And it helped Alyssa and I almost to feel a permission of... Oh, the things that we miss and that we 're longing for and that are these are good desires, and it actually makes sense and When I looked at my own wiring and gift mix and talked to some other mentors in my life, it just seemed like like that was some of the restlessness we were feeling so we headed back to Chicago in twenty the beginning of two thousand ten and started looking at where we had felt like God was calling us to a particular kind of context and to do a particular kind of ministry. And then it was just a matter of time to realize, like, oh, if this is going to happen, we probably need to start this thing. Mm. And so we started looking at different places and who draws what demographics and the gaps and who the American church is reaching. And, um, but ultimately what it comes, came down to for me is um, we were committed, I remain this, committed to this, that, um, that I don't think there's a New Testament precedent for self-appointed eldership. And I think too often in church planting, that's effectively what happens is a guy moves to a place and puts his flag up and says, I am a pastor. Right. And we were committed for our own story and journey to have a local church in a place that would call us and send us. And so the reality is that we were we were try- making phone calls and doing research and trying to make contacts. I, I honestly kind of figured it'd be Chicago because that's where I grew up and we were living there at the time. Okay. But... It happened in DC and I called a church called Cornerstone in Annandale, just about 20 minutes west of us. And, um, Pastor Bill Kynes, who's become a spiritual father to me and they called us and sent us. So we were called by the local church.
0: Yeah. I love that. Churches plant churches. This, it's fascinating, this is, right? Yeah. Yeah. This, this is, this is how it happens. And so, right. so to be sent out from, from Cornerstone, how did you get involved with X 29?
1: Yeah. So that was 11 years ago now, cause it was 2010 um, that I was assessed out in Seattle, which is probably its own story for um, another <laughs> podcast. <laughs> um, but, um, but the bottom line for me was that Acts Nine always felt like home. It um, it was I resonated with a lot of what I was seeing in the network with guys that I met in the network. Um, especially at the time, it felt like there were really there weren't a lot of there wasn't a lot of good church planting activity that was effective in global cities, and it, because it's hard, it's hard work and. Um, the level of nuance and care that it takes the to make sure that that the witness of the gospel is beautiful and true and engaged yeah. in the particular nuances of a place um, it gets intensified in, in major cities and so at the time i didn 't see a lot of groups that were doing the kind of work that x three nine was and saying okay we 're going to have robust theological commitments that we 're going to be unapologetic about, and also that 's going but that 's going to drive us into actual I feel like it's buzzwords now, but intermissional engagement into actually caring about how that intersects and interacts with the place that we're in um, to effectively reach lost people through church planting. And so that was the, that was the, the heartbeat and the vision that drew us to Acts 29, and we've been a part of it since before Redemption Hill counted its birth. Mm. Yeah, I, I think you're, you're
0: right on the pulse of, I think, what makes X 29 um, really so appealing and I, I think such a great network to be a part of. These commitments yep. we have, and these strong desires to be out in the culture. And so I'm I'm grateful for our network and how we continue to serve, and how you serve out there in North Atlantic and in DC. And yeah. and so maybe you could help listeners. You know, I think everybody in the United States at least, and maybe people our listeners abroad as as well that they have different ideas and visions of kind of what DC is like. And so let's start with the first question. What do you love about Washington, DC tell us about DC and what's challenging
1: about living there? Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like, so here's an actual little historical, maybe interesting point. Maybe it won't be, Um, but, um, I I appreciate that you keep calling it DC because nobody who lives here calls it Washington, Mm. um, except for people that live out in the suburbs. And here, Washington is has, has actually kind of a pejorative to mean the seat of government. And you'll hear it around the – so you'll hear it in the media when people are upset about, about what's happening in government. And the, this is all in Washington and all the people in Washington. Oh, yeah, residents yeah. here call it the district or D.C. Um, and and there's, there's a pretty stark divide there. Um, and I think that's probably one of the things that um, – that people have a misimpression of is like, yeah, the government is here and yeah, it's kind of a company town. Like everybody there's, it's in the air we breathe and politics are in the air we breathe, but it's a metuary of over 6 million people. So there's a little more happening here than just the government. And most of the people that most of what people are mad about are the people that they've sent to us. And so we're like, you can have them back. Um, 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 but i've we do we love this place i mean we we live in the neighborhood that we planted the church we've lived here the entire time our kids have been in neighborhood schools and and, and um and so they've really grown up here um i love the this place has um an energy and a pulse and a heartbeat that we've come to really love and un and it's really a unique place um and um and i think some of that is that it's People here, I really feel like in when you read um, in Acts, when Paul gets to Athens in Act 17, I, I really feel like in our nation and our culture in the in the states, DC is our Athens, New York is kind of our Rome, mm. and of um, but DC is is a place where ideology is exchanged in the marketplace, and that's what I love is there's a level of thoughtfulness and curiosity and nuance, and like most of my neighbors i'm i meet a lot of people that i'm the only pastor they've ever met in their lives oh. but there's it's not hostility there's curiosity i'm like tell me what talk about that what does that mean and it leads to conversations where we're able to dig into really deep things really quickly with people and um and so i love a lot of that i love that my kids are getting to grow up here so yeah yeah this is this is home and we love it it is crazy challenging for ministry though yeah um everybody likes to talk about how transient their place is. We see, I mean, early on we had years that we saw as much as 50% turnover wow. annually. And I think a good year for us is is closer to 30. Um, so we have about a third of our church every year that we know we're going to say goodbye to. And, wow. um, and that's part of being on Capitol Hill. And there are certainly more long, there's longer term, more rooted residents of DC for sure. But the transience is a reality. And so, learning to bridge that even of the cynicism that longer term residents have toward those who are transient or toward anything new. And so as a church plant, you're new and immediately there's a little bit of a skepticism of like, how can we trust this? And, you know, early days of planting, when people are like, what do you do? I mean, I'm starting a church. And they're like, how do you do that? Where do you, wh- where is your church? And I'm like, well, what route do I go here? Like, <laughs> we don't have a place to meet yet. Or do we, if I go like, well, the church isn't really a building. It's people, right? I'm like, You're a cult. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I think some of that was, was tougher earlier. We've got enough reputation now, 10 years in that I think that's, we're seeing that shift a little, which is, I hope going to lead to greater fruitfulness. Um, the cost of living is a huge challenge here, um, because that cha- that drives everything. Like for a church, if you're going to have staff, it, it's hard, it's mm-hmm. hard to ha- to pay enough. Um, and I think for me personally, like, again, I grew up in Chicago, um, at least in the circles I grew up in, nobody cares about politics. They didn't yeah. talk about, I know that now it seems like the whole country's caught up in talking about politics all the time, but for me, there was a really st- a steep learning curve on talking about political issues and how to learning the language of politics and learning about news sources and how people view those and how it changes perspectives and nuances that to have. And um, I think being an outsider allowed me uh, probably to have um, some important perspectives that have been shaping for our church in that. But it it, it was really hard work early on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I could imagine. And so I I wonder, you know, if you could tell us how the, political scene has really affected and impacted some of the, the ways
1: you guys have done gospel ministry there in DC Mm and in in Redemption Hill. Um, it has to be considered. And, um, I think that, I mean, I think, I, I think some of what the last five years have exposed, um, some of what the 2016 election exposed and that we've just seen continue to be peeled back is that I think that there were a lot of churches that had a measure of political diversity, in ideology within them, but that they got there by never talking about issues that were politicized. Mm. And that got exposed because then people didn't have the tools to be able to talk through things when it got hot. And so that's why we've seen churches and whole denominations splitting over the last five years is because we haven't discipled our people. Well, to think about political issues and um, by God's grace, I, that's one thing that our church has been, talking about and, and been open about from the beginning. And, um, so our people were set up a little differently to be able to weather some of this. And we've seen, I mean, it's not without conflict. It's not without discussion, lively, heated discussion at times. Um, but we've seen a level of unity over the last five years that has been, I mean, there's, it's really, it's the work of the Holy Spirit, but, but we've worked really hard to, to sustain it. Yeah. And I mean, it's, as you noted, Bill, I mean, our nation is
0: so polarized right now. Yeah. And, and I'm sure there's older, you know, I, I bet there's older Christians that we all know that could look back and go, yeah, this era reminds me of this a little, like we've, we've heard Ray Ortland say before, like, yeah, this kind of turmoil kind of reminds me of like what happened around the Jesus movement and, and what was happening in the sixties and seventies. Um, yeah. so I wonder, Bill, from your perspective in DC for 10 years, do you see more division now than you have before while you've been there?
1: Um, in D.C. and in our church? Yeah. Yeah, yeah but in our country, for sure. Yeah. I mean, to, to be real, and I know that people have different different perspectives on this, but this is our neighborhood. And like The U.S. Capitol was stormed in a joint session of the United States Congress to stop yeah. the results of an election. And the church building that we meet in, was inside the security perimeter. We could not get to it that weekend that followed. Um, Our people are Capitol Hill police or Capitol police. We have, we have people that are staffers that were hiding in their offices and barricading doors. Mm. And where I were, I was texting with while it was, I was sitting right here in my office when it, when that happened on January 6th. And, and so um, that's different than, than anything that's happened in our lifetime. And, and the I think one of the things that's most concerning to me in this is um, that as as churches and whole denominations, and it just American Christianity seems to be breaking at the seams right now, um, there's some things that we can look at. And as a pastor, I'm like, well, there's some of this that needs to happen, and it's probably healthy, and that we're rooting out deep issues of idolatry. And so thank God for that. But also... Like the the witness of the the church has been terribly terribly damaged, and we feel that here that um, the amount of stuff junk I've got to sort through with people that I meet and friends and neighbors who aren't Christians on what they're seeing around the country and sorting out like is this is this your church is this, are these do the, mm. these people represent you um, and I I think we need to be careful on that because. We slide into language, right? You hear this, you see this, you'll get on Twitter and somebody will say like, well, this issue or masks or vaccinations or abortion or the law in Texas that is up in arms, people are up in arms about and talking about like, this is, this, this is the greatest threat to the gospel that we have. Right. And like, we need to be careful here, right? Because there is no threat to the gospel. Amen. (laughs) There's, there's no threat. And, and Jesus isn't wringing his hands to the right of the father right now and saying, what are we going to do about American politics? Yeah. Like there's nothing that he is not sovereign over and does not, did not know was going to happen. Um, But I do think we are damaging our witness and um, that we've got a lot more work to do as Christians. If we actually want to reach people who don't know Jesus right now. Yeah. Amen, bro. I,
0: when I see that kind of rhetoric on social media, whatever, I just think what, what a way to belittle the reality of the gospel. Like, we worship a man who defeated death. Yeah. He is not worried about any talking head. He is not worried about any kind of governmental uh, program or plan that nothing is going to overcome the, the kingdom. And and all the fear mongering, all the ways of talking about that stuff, of, of trying just to get people to get on their side or whatever. It's just we've I agree. We've got to stay away from that. And remember, yeah. Christ said, the gates of hell aren't going to going to stop. That's right. Anything I want to do with my church. And so it's, it's going to happen. And I, Bill, I I think people would just would love to know and just hear, I mean, as you, as you referenced January 6th and and what happened there on the Capitol, how, like what was going through your heart and your mind and people in your church as these just insane events were were unfolding and how did your church react? And
1: and is, I'm sure there's still some ongoing healing and, and things from everything that unfolded. There is because we're looking at. I mean, I don't know when this will post, but September eighteenth, fencing is going back up around the Capitol because the, the same group, some of the same groups, are coming back to protest mm. again. Um, and so it's not over, um, and it's been. I think that that January sixth changed everything for people here, and it it's a little hard because around the country, it's hard to know like if people even still register what happened then. But we do feel the effects of it still. The fencing only came down July 9th, I think. Um, yeah. And um, and that might sound weird because people just outside of D.C. probably just think of the Capitol as an iconic government building. But but for us, these are sidewalks that we walk down, yeah. commuting back and forth into the city every day. And that we have picnics on the Capitol lawn. Like, this is our home. But I think even more than that, um, our church is incredibly diverse politically. And again, something we've worked to foster and facilitate. And so it's been, I think it's something like January 6th has been fascinating to watch because everybody was affected and it brought a reality to home for, for everybody across the, the spectrum politically. Um, but also a lot, most of the people in our church are very ideologically driven. And so where it's not as, it's not pop level you know, pick your your least favorite news source kind of politics. Right. It's people who are ideological conservatives, ideological progressives who are working hard as Christians to see how the gospel applies into the things that they're most passionate about. Um, but I, I think seeing, I mean, we can't ignore the fact that there were people holding Jesus banners and that's in the images yeah. that came out. that That's reality. And um, we can't ignore the fact that that Christian nationalism is a threat to our witness and yeah. that we can yell about all kinds of things, but that, that has come up from within the church. And so that's something that's got to be rooted out. And, um, but I think our, there's peop- are people, our people, I think there's a level of concern and fear looking ahead that stuff like this is going to happen again. Um, and, and just, you know, wondering like what it, are we going to be able to get past the level of divisiveness that's turned into violent action right. that we have right now.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I wonder in these politically turbulent times of just the last, you know, five years, yeah. especially more recent, what, what's your approach to preaching um, and maybe discipling in those turbulent times? Do you steer clear of controversial topics in the pulpit? Do you address them head on is there a separate plan we're gonna do a seminar a course
1: we'll do a class a luncheon whatever what what is your approach to do these things um we don't steer clear of things um and we kind of laugh about it as a church where i'll go into something and just say like oh here we go again like here we are this is uncertain and it's hard and so we're gonna go in head first um and so we we go for it and we have for a decade um but in that i think there's some things that i've worked really hard on and that we we have worked hard on in our church so this is we talk about diversity including political diversity but not just limited to ethnic socioeconomic we have regional diversity and international diversity in our church and but we actually specifically talk about political diversity and ideological diversity in our membership classes and expl- and, and help people understand that the vision that we have that there is a greater kingdom that we are tied to, that we are applying into life now, but that no partisan policy or framework is going to capture the fullness of the risen king. And that in our church, causing, issue, causing division over secondary or tertiary issues related to politics is actually a reason for church discipline. Like, don't mm-hmm. come here and divide this church because you think that this issue X or Y issue is the thing the church needs to stand on. And so we don't avoid anything hard, but I work really hard and I'm very careful to never push toward partisan ends. And so I think language we use of saying like, okay, these are politicized issues, but let's not just use political rhetoric. Let's talk about moral implications and see how God's word applies. Um, So it's, it's, it's hard to capture somewhat because we don't chase the news cycle because we would, I mean, right now, especially every week we'd be chasing right. the news cycle and saying, well, this happened this week. Let's. Talk. But, but it's also amazing to see how, you know, you can plan a sermon a year in advance and say, I'm going to be in this text and somehow it it seems to speak into the moment wow. that we're in as a church. And so um, we have a slot in our service for pastoral prayer that we have at an elders and our Titus two team. Um, so men and women that, rotate through and lead that slot. And so we talk a lot about that week leading up to, and we'll talk together about, Hey, so-and-so, you know, whoever's praying this week, these are some issues, lead our church and how to pray well through them and how to, whether it's lament or joy or whatever it is to be able to say like, this is happening. And in my preaching, I, I it's just impossible to avoid the things that are on people's minds. Mm. And so I'm not going to chase it, but I'm not going to avoid it. But I also want to be careful in that. I mean, some principles that have guided us, like, we don't want ever want anyone leaving anything connected to our church and feeling justified by their political stance. And I think that's a danger that happens too often in churches. Like, okay, yeah. if I lined up correctly politically, then I'm good. No, 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 no. We, we're justified by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. That's so let's, let's maintain that. And I think understand, too, that um, James Davison Hunter, who's a sociologist at UVA, um, said that politics is always a crude simplification of public life, and the common good is always more than its political expression. Mm. And so, embracing the fact that as a pastor, your role has to be political. It is inherently political because we are preaching the kingship of Jesus. Yeah. But we have to be careful about which kingdom we're proclaiming most loudly and most consistently. And I think for For a lot of people, it'd be maybe challenging to step back and look at like our social media feeds, the way we approach the pulpit, the way we talk to members in our church and I don't think there's a person in our church that knows how I've voted in a single election hmm. um, and I wouldn't want them to, yeah, but we also don't just avoid stuff because again, I think that may has led to a lot of the problems we have is that people don't know how to think about issues and so yeah
0: you're so um, right. it's
1: it's it's way harder work to, to do it this yeah. way but but yeah. i think the payoff is worth it and i think we're bound to it if we're actually following jesus as our king yeah amen i mean jesus is
0: lord is a political message and yeah. everybody everybody heard it that way in the first century i mean book right. of Acts book of acts tells us that they're they're upset because they're saying they're proclaiming another king right uh, jesus christ as lord
1: and it's what Pilate. Um, put on the cross over his head is this the right. king of the Jews. Cause he didn't know what to make of him. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Yeah. I think it was Frederick uh, Bruner that said about
0: the uh, inscription over Jesus's head. I think it was him that said, you know, it's written in three languages, uh, Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic on top that that was the first evangelistic track written.
1: <laughs> That's, right. That's uh, right.
0: That, you know, that he had no idea what he was writing when he put it over Jesus's head. Yeah. Um,
1: and yet even with that, deep political statement and like go read mary's song and, and Luke's. Yeah. Got, like it's it is so profoundly political in expecting the, the all of reality of society to be turned upside down and you go and read luke's luke so often focuses on the the freedom for the oppressed and the poor and all of it. like this there was a revolutionary message that jesus was was bringing in that that came through him as this new kingdom dawned and, and as we would say, it was inaugurated yet to be consummated. But, but even in that, then when you read the rest of the new Testament, it is striking how little time is spent railing against the evils of Rome. Yeah. Like yeah. They, they were about a different kingdom.
0: Yeah. It's amazing that somehow the church flourished without political power. Yes. In, in the first century. And somehow the fastest growing church in the world is in Iran. Um, right. it just reminds us, it rebukes us, I, I think Christians in the United States of America to yeah. recognize where power comes
1: from, yeah. um, where true kingdom power lies. Yeah. And back to James Davison Hunter. I mean, one of the things that he advocates for in his book, um, to change the world is um, uh, what he calls a ministry of faithful presence. And Andy Crouch has written about him and others, too, saying that maybe he didn't take it quite far enough. But whatever the case, I think one of the challenges for us is that f- the idea of faithful presence of God has put you in a place. And this is I mean, this is Act 17. We don't need a sociologist, right? right. Acts 17, what Paul says, God has established the boundaries of the times of our dwelling place so that we would reach out and find him. And so um, so understanding that in saying, okay, for some that means you're not directly... You don't have direct access into politics, and so maybe God's calling you to do the most good with your life in the sphere that he's given you right now and focus less on things that you can't change. Mm. One of the challenges for us is we do have a number of people that are working directly on Capitol Hill and in politics, and so encouraging them that what we're calling them to is not to drop partisan alignment, but instead to say, no, we need Christian Republicans and we need Christian Democrats. Because if there's no gospel witness in our political parties, it's going to be even worse of a disaster. And so it's not a call toward total separatism that we're issuing as a church. It's saying we have a primary alignment to Christ's kingdom, and now we have to be careful and thoughtful and intentional about thinking well about how to apply that into the place that God has opened up doors for us to be in. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's so helpful, man. So many avenues for discipleship. And I think you were so right early on when you said... Yeah, we had we had kind of a faux unity for a while, yeah. Because yeah, we didn't talk about this stuff, and right. now that it's unavoidable, right? Uh, we're we're seeing the fissures and the breaks, uh, but we got to disciple one another. That yep. if if Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector, that's right, yeah, can sit in a circle together and listen to Jesus and walk with Jesus, my goodness,
1: um, so so can we, yeah, and we talk we talk about those two all the time as a church and in that call of saying and there's no way that jesus wasn't intentional in putting those two guys on his team yeah like he was he was doing exactly the same thing and and we we challenge our church to that and even over even recently over the past several months we've had some who have come to me and and some who have left our church saying that they've gotten it past this last election and they're just too troubled by what they're seeing and don't don't feel like they can sing and worship with people who voted a certain way and and there i as a pastor i can't help but challenge a little bit and say you are going to be singing with these people for the rest of eternity that's right and so if your issue, if that's your issue then the issue might not the issue might be in your own heart on this and yeah. and if that's not if you're not looking for a church that's going to be able to break down dividing walls like that and see unity that comes in Christ across them, then we probably aren't the church for you.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah. Amen.
0: I I don't know who tweeted it first. You see so many people have tweeted it. It's like, you know, a lot of people are leaving their church over politics, but how many people are leaving their politics because of their church? Right. You know, like, man, we we need to flip these things around. Yeah. And And I know, like, in Acts 29 our heart is to continue to show people to walk with Christ, how to, how to live as disciples of the Lord Jesus and wherever we find ourselves, um, whether it's here in the United States or whether it's in Spain or in Brazil, that we're all living as disciples of the Lord Jesus, wherever he's put us. And so, so Bill, I wonder as a pastor and as a disciple of Christ, how has being a part of Acts 29 encouraged you as a pastor and
1: and supported your church? Oh, it's been huge. Um, I think, um, the friendship we've had along the way, like the the, the people that we've had around us in x nine have kept us going in some of the darkest valleys we've had. I think whether that's guys who are, I mean, like real practical talking to guys who are a little farther ahead and have helped me out and mentored me, whether it's um, friends just in the area who know what we've walked through and have walked through some really hard stuff for us. Um, and so there's, I mean, there's a brotherhood in X-ray nine that, that I think is very real. And when we, when we moved to DC there were zero X39 churches in the DC metro area. And now there's something like fifteen, sixteen churches in oh, the area. Wow. Amazing. And so we've seen incredible growth that way. And we've been and we've been able to see there's there's really a closeness. The guys know each other and we're around each other and and it's been it's been beautiful. And I know there's several guys in the area that have walked through some really painful things, as most church planters do, and probably wouldn't be standing if it wasn't for the support they've gotten from yeah. the guys around them. Um but I think I mean that's on a personal level, um, and I mean we just had our 10th anniversary, and like we had Ray Ortland come in as has yeah. been a, is the TGC article says right the spiritual father to a generation of church planters yeah, absolutely. Um, but having a guy like him come in and be a part of it, and our sending Pastor Bill Kines, it's been it's been huge. Um, but also in church planting, I mean this is what we're about, and this is one of the things I hope actually and I. Never loses those that distinctive. Like we're this is supposed to be what we're about is churches planting churches. That is we are a, we are a single issue network. Let's do that work. And for us, that's me- that's meant that we have been involved in church planting partnerships locally and been a part of trying to help and coach and resource some of the guys locally um in DC area. We've been really involved in church planting in Belfast and in we planted a church in Mexico City and we're working in New York and in Havana all global cities. And so I know that there's, there's lots of good areas that also need work, but that's been the, the path and the the focus that we've had. Um, and so it's been, I mean, all of that is because our doors that have opened because of our involvement with X 29. Yeah. I love it, man. So, so much encouraging, so much encouraging stuff
0: happening in X 29. Yeah. Um, and in our churches all, all around the world. So, I'd just love to ask you, Bill, so people can pray and um what are some things that you hope you see the Lord do in and around
1: d c in in the coming years yeah that's a good question i um I think there's two things that immediately come to mind for me. the first one is I want to see a lot of the church plants that have started in the last ten years become established and sustainable and um, I think that that's a challenge, right? That we've had in Acts 29 is we've, we we're good at starting things up, but can we keep it going? And can we get things more established so that these churches are um, like not? I think there's t- at times when church planting is such a focus is that we can get a little bit like manic about it. Like and instead of saying no, let's let's make sure that this work gets started and yeah. established, so that we can do this for forty years right. rather than what can we do today. Um, and I think the other thing is, and I think in, in Acts 39 in general, my hope is um, I want to see us sharpen our missional edge and posture again. I And some of the things I talked about that drew me to Acts like yeah. how To be able to reach people who are far from Jesus and far from Christian subculture. And I think sometimes the the... The danger in our churches in our in any group of people, so including our network, is that is that we will turn inward on on what we think we need or on care and on all kinds of things that aren't unimportant things but non essentials that are that we can lose that mission and and so I would love to see us just sharpen that edge and be able to see and start reaping a harvest I, I mean basically I'm saying I want to see revival openly. yeah. Let's, let's
0: go for it. Let's pray for it. Yeah. So, brothers and sisters, let's pray for revival. Let's get after it. May the Lord rend the heavens Amen. in our communities and, yeah. and see churches planted and baptismal water splashed all over the place. That's right. That's that's what we're hoping for. I hope all of our churches carpets are permanently stained and soggy <laughs> just from all, all the baptism water splashing out. Yeah. All right, Bill. Well, we end every episode of the x Podcast with these three questions. And so, I'm going to rapid fire them them to you here. Question one. A great book you've read recently that you'd want to recommend.
1: Um, Harold Sankweil, The Care of Souls.
0: Yeah, I haven't read it yet. It's on my
1: list of things to read, but everyone says it's incredible. It has been so refreshing. Um, Just as a simple reminder of what pastoral ministry really is and what it isn't. And a push to get back to the simplicity of the word and sacrament.
0: Mm, Yeah, that'd be a good one. Okay, Care of Souls. Second one. What's
1: your go-to order in a coffee shop? Um, Sure, there's lots of options. Yeah, a four-shot cappuccino. Um, So essentially, it's an espresso macchiato, but doubled because I am not a small guy, and me holding (laughs) an espresso macchiato in my hand looks ridiculous.
0: It looks like probably most holding a thimble, like a a thimble of coffee.
1: (laughs) Right. Four shots, man. Do you say? You said four shots. Yeah, that's usually how I start. Sometimes I'll have a warm up this Russo Doble just to, while they're making it. Oh, mama. Okay. That's a lot. That's a lot of caffeine, man. You got a lot oh. of cells.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Last question. What's your favorite verse in the Bible and, and why?
1: Gosh, I don't know how you expect me to narrow this down and pick one.
0: I know it's tough. There's 66 books. I think the most recent <laughs> of recently, it's like 31,000
1: verses or something like that. All right. So, our 10th anniversary weekend, I got to spend dinner time sitting between Bill Kynes, our sending pastor, and Ray Ortland, listening to them talk, and the two of them settled in on a verse that hearing these guys who are either retired from weekly pastoral ministry or Bill is retiring in May, nearing the end of their public ministry, but just transitioning into new things, and they, I, I've been stuck on it over the last few weeks. It's Hebrews 2.1, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Mm. and so that's what I've been stuck on lately Yeah, is that that was Bill's prayer for finishing his pastoral ministry faithfully and I was blown away listening to these two giants of the faith, guys who I esteem and respect so much and both of them captured by this hope that they would cling to the gospel lest they drift away from it
0: Mm.
1: that's a great word
0: it's a great word for all of us whether we're serving as the lead pastor or founding pastor or the planting pastor or the missions pastor or hospitality coordinator or a a deacon or a small group leader, that we would pay attention uh, to the, to what we've heard, what we've seen, what we know about the Triune God, and we stay committed, stay committed
1: to Him and to one another. That's yeah. a good word, Bill. And in a time when there are reasonable there there's, there 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 reasonable reasons for people to deconstruct their faith because of what they're seeing happen around them to be reminded that all of the nonsense that we see in today's discussion about in christians and politics and what's happening in these spheres that seem so consuming and so threatening to say hold on let's get back to who jesus is pay yeah much more careful attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it
0: yes amen well bill thanks for coming on the podcast brother yeah thank you jeff it's been great Listeners, thank you for checking out the x Podcast again this week. I hope you've already subscribed. If not, you can do that there in your podcast app, wherever you listen, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Overcast, wherever you are. Thank you for subscribing. We'd love for you to leave a review. And as always, brothers and sisters, let's keep planting churches to the ends of the earth.